This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. We're going to open up our Bibles today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 to look at this Jesus who meets people in those kinds of situations and uh, with healing and grace and transformation. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew 8 here. Uh, And then we'll pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. I want to remind you the Word of God is alive. Um, Jesus is here. His Spirit is here. And this Word is alive. It's it's not meant to just be kind of an old document uh, or some old sayings that were captured by some people and put down on paper. Uh, This is the Word of the Lord. And so as we read it, I want you to see who God is as we look at this image of Jesus' love and power. This is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, and he knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we right now ask that you would work among us, that your spirit uh, all over this room, all over the city, for everybody watching online, everybody here in this place, for the kids in the basement and the volunteers, Uh, that your spirit would be poured out in fresh ways, that people would see you pursuing them, moving towards them in the darkness, in the shame, in the shadows, in the depression, in the isolation that we all carry and we all feel, that that you would speak over people. I see you. I know what you carry. I know the guilt. I, I know the shame. I know the regrets. I know the things that have happened to you and the things that you've done and I love you, and that you would move towards people and, as it were, to touch them, to reconnect them to the presence of God Almighty, the lover of their souls, and that you would, through that, help us to be a community of people that are showing that sort of grace and love towards one another, not pretending that we've got it together, but as people that are broken, but redeemed, transformed, healed, and loved through your grace alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I, if, if anybody like, is casually acquainted with me, probably not people who are around me a lot, but if you're casually acquainted with me, most people would kind of think that I'm a pretty self-confident person. I present pretty self-confident, and I don't say that as a kind of a self-aggrandizing comment. I actually say it uh, as a negative thing, because if you're self-confident or if you project self-confidence, uh, I apologize. I'm about to let the cat out of the bag for us. Uh, typically, people that project a lot of self-confidence do so to cover up deep senses of insecurity, deep feelings of shame, and the same is true for me. It's a lot easier to feel like, like, hey, if you think I've got it together, then I can think I've got it together, and if I think I've got it together, I don't have to deal with all those areas deep within me where I know I don't. I know I don't. And I've wrestled with this my whole life, voices over me, and things in my head, things I've wrestled with, things that drive me and motivate me. I remember several years ago, 
Uh, I was here on a Sunday. I was preaching. It was the Sunday evening service. Remember when we had Sunday evening services? So Sunday evening service. All of our staff is like, I don't ever want to remember Sunday evening services. They loved you when you came, but they didn't love coming back on Sunday evening. Um, I have cheering from, from the balcony. That's Jason Jones. I'm calling him out. Um, we, uh, we were here on a Sunday evening, and I was wrestling. Internally, I was wrestling through a lot of senses of inadequacy, um, senses of insecurity. How do people feel about me? What do people think about me? Feeling like not measuring up to who I think I need to be or who people think I need to be. And, it, and I have wrestled with those thoughts my whole life, still wrestle with those thoughts. But it, it like rose this point of like huge weight over this season. And I, and I remember on a particular Sunday, um, it was a Sunday when I, when I preached a longer sermon, which is rarely, rarely do that. Um, it was longer, it was clunky, it was unclear, I wasn't as prepared as I ought to have been. Um, and I felt so much shame. I was wrapping up the sermon and just felt glazy eyes and disconnection. And whether or not it was actually people feeling that or just my projection on people because of my own insecurity, it's what I was feeling. And I finished the sermon like shaky, sweaty, just want to get off stage. And so you get off stage and I'm sitting down and it's, remember when we used to come through lines for communion, you know, about a year ago is the last time we did that. And the next Sunday we're like, we're going to get these super sacred plastic cups. And, uh, and that was a year ago. And, uh, and so we were, we were sitting in here again several years ago and I'm sitting here and people are going through communion and I was just like this weight of shame and embarrassment and insecurity was just crushing me. And I knew I had to like get up and give the benediction and I didn't want to. And so like the final song ends and I hop up and I say something and I give a benediction and I'm just like, I just felt like I just want to run and hide in a hole somewhere. I felt so embarrassed. And, um, and I remember, you know, after the service, uh, some people came up, talked really quickly. And as soon as I could, I kind of darted out the side, grabbed my keys and my coat and headed out the side door because I didn't want to cross paths with anybody. Ran to my car and drove downtown and found a park and sat on a bench and just broke down weeping. Just weeping. I felt I didn't know how to talk to God. I felt disconnected from him. I didn't want anybody to see me like this. I just needed to be in a place, you know, in the middle of a city where you also feel alone. I don't know if anybody else, you feel like sometimes big crowds where you don't know people, you feel alone. And just like, I just was, just broke down. And, uh, and the Lord is revealing a lot of just deep senses of shame within me. The sense for me that I'm not measuring up to who I think I need to be, or who people think I need to be. Uh, failures for me that felt public, which for my own wiring and my own story was just a crushing thing, the idea of public failure, failing in front of people, and it was crushing for me. And, and what I learned as I began to do work on where is this coming from and what does Jesus have to say about that, I learned that I'm not the only one that feels that thing. I felt alone in it, but I learned that really everybody experiences these things to some degree or another. Shame over regrets from the past or failures or voices that kind of like circle through your head. These kind of feelings of falling short of expectation or comparing yourself to others, feeling unloved or unwanted or like you're not enough or that you're too much, whatever it might be. And everybody feels these things except, turns out, sociopaths. So, you know, that's the good news. If you feel shame, it means you're not a sociopath. Um, so... The kind of experience, though, of the shame is something that's very common to humanity. 
And it's something that is core to Jesus' mission and that we see in this passage is him pursuing people, not just in their guilt, but in the shame that they carry because of areas of guilt or areas of brokenness or things that have happened to them. He moves towards people to reconnect them through his love to the love of the Father and to the love of his people. And that's what this passage is all about, that Jesus has come to cleanse people from shame in order to reconnect them to the love of God and the love of his people. It's core to his mission. It's what he wants to do. In fact, one of the words in this passage is, I want to. I want to do this. I desire this for you. I desire for you to be cleansed. And this passage is all about that. It's about a person who's not just suffering a kind of physical malady, not just like a a physical infirmity, but through this skin disease that's known in the Bible as leprosy, which is a broad term, had experienced this idea of uncleanness, not just physical pain, but a sense of unbelonging, a sense of outside, a sense of other. I'm not able to relate to God because of this, and I'm not able to relate to his people because of this. And Jesus, as a core part of his mission, is moving towards people with that kind of feeling and showing us that God is not put off, he's not disturbed, he's not disgusted, he's not disappointed. He moves towards us in our shame with love and with compassion and with power, not just to heal us, wash us, and reconcile us to his presence, but also to reconcile us to his people, that we'd be a people that aren't kind of gathering around to say, look how great we are, and look, like, we've all got it together, and we all have, like, just, like, these incredible lives with all these, like, great deeds that we do and awesome personalities, and we all just measure up to everything we want to be, and aren't we great, the people of God? That's not what the people of God ever are in history. It's people that are broken, mistakes, failures, regrets, pain, and suffering, isolation, that have experienced God's love for them in Christ. This is the gospel, and when we embrace the gospel, it makes us a different kind of a people, and it gives freedom. It gives healing, it gives hope, it gives love. And so what we're going to see in this passage is this movement. We're just going to look through it verse by verse and see the power what Christ is doing towards people that feel caught in shame, caught in uncleanness. And so look with me, starting in chapter 8, verse 1, uh, we get this transitionary statement. He says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. This is the verse that's kind of taking us out of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was the chapters 5, 6, 7, where Jesus is teaching everybody, here's what my kingdom is like. Here's who's blessed in my kingdom. Here's what my people, the people of my kingdom, are supposed to live like and be like and how they're supposed to show love and forgiveness and grace and kindness and integrity and hope. And, and this is what it's supposed to look like. And so he's teaching this, and it's inspiring. Like the crowds finish at the end of chapter 7, they're like, what kind of man is this? Look at his authority. He's teaching us a whole different way to be human. And it's really beautiful. And so big crowds are compelled by his teaching, and they begin to follow him because the sentiment is, is it possible that this is the one that's going to bring restoration to the people of God? Is it possible that this is the Messiah that we've come to wait for, that we've been waiting for and expecting? And so it transitions into chapter 8 now where Matthew's going to, he's arranged nine different healing stories, right? Three groups of three healing stories. So there's going to be three healing stories and then a statement about the cost of following Jesus. Three more healing stories, an invitation to Matthew to follow Jesus, and some more healing stories, and then a sending out of his disciples to go share the good news of the kingdom to the world. That's what's going to happen in Matthews 8, 9, and 10. This is the first healing story 
And it's here on purpose as the first one with incredible significance to actually show not just the nature of God's kingdom, but the power of the king to transform, to heal, to cleanse, to wash, and to reconcile. So look with me at verse 2. Great crowds followed Jesus, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, if you desire, if you want to, you can make me clean. He's saying, if you want to do this, I believe that you can. He has a sense of who Jesus is, his power. The question is, is he good? Does he want to do this for me? Does he want to do this in me? Um, So I want to talk about this first point, which is that in some way or another, we all feel unclean. In some way or another, everyone in this room, everyone tuning in online, we all feel unclean. We all carry these weights of shame. Uh, Where do we see uncleanness in the passage? Well, a a leper was somebody who had leprosy, which is a skin disease. We have a more kind of um, definite definition in our kind of modern era of what leprosy is. In biblical days, leprosy was just a broad term that kind of connotated a, a skin disease of some sort, a skin disease. What's interesting is the man doesn't come before Jesus and say, if you want to, you can heal me. He says, if you want to, you can make me clean. That there's something about leprosy that wasn't just a physical malady. It wasn't just like a physical disease. It actually was an expression or actually had different significance in their community and because of their ritual history. And so to understand even what that meant, what does it mean for him to feel unclean because of this disease? You have to go way back again in the story to understand uh, in the beginning, right? You think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the four, first four books of the Bible are all about this reality. Genesis, God creates humanity to be in his presence, in harmony with him and with one another, and humanity rejects and rebels against the authority of God, is exiled from his presence, and there's this brokenness, this sin that's stained us, that's actually led to separation between us and God, but it leads to division in relationships. People start comparing themselves to one another. People start using their power to oppress others. Genesis 3 says men are going to use their power to dominate, and women are going to resent and battle back. And it's to be this competitive thing, which multiplies into all sorts of humanity, not just men and women. But anything you have, you try to kind of lord over and use it to exalt yourself, or you resent people, and it's just like competitive, shame-inducing comparison, culture cultivating environment that leads people feeling alone, isolated, disconnected, divided from God and from one another. And in Genesis 12, there's this good news. God's going to pull it all back together through this guy named Abraham. Exodus is all about the children of Abraham and the ongoing mission of God, that God's redeeming them from bondage and the destructive end of their plight away from him, out of Egypt, through the blood of the lamb, through the waters of the Red Sea, into the wilderness. And God meets with them and gives them instructions for what it's going to mean to be his people. And that's what Exodus is about. So he teaches them the way of the kingdom through the laws of the Exodus. And they build a tabernacle which is going to be God's presence. He's restoring it. Like, you get to be back in relationship with God. So they build the tabernacle, and the glory of God comes down at the end of the Exodus, and it fills the tabernacle. It's like, God's presence is with us again, but you're not allowed in. The end of Exodus is Moses not able to enter into the presence of God. Why? Because he's broken. He's sinful. He's a part of a rebellious people that have been sacrificing bulls and goats and all these things to other gods. So how can they be invited into the presence of God unless something happens to wash away their sin and their shame. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. It's about rituals, sacrificial rituals through which the people can be cleansed, through which they can be washed, through which they can be made clean so they can actually be 
access, be given access back into the presence of the Holy God. So that book of the Bible that you skip over is pretty important. And, uh, and, and it's all about how God intends to make us clean, how he intends to cleanse us to be in his presence. And there's a whole chapter, Leviticus chapter 13, which is all about leprosy. It's all about these skin diseases. So what's the big deal about skin diseases? Well, part of access to the presence of God, part of that was disrupted by human rebellion or moral impurity. But there are also kinds of ritual impurity that you could actually become ritually unclean. And what ritual uncleanness was, it wasn't the same as moral uncleanness because it wasn't necessarily you did something wrong, you sinned in this way or rebellious. There were things in their culture that signified a kind of death in a decay that would not be given access into the holy presence of God. I heard Tim Mackey, a Bible scholar in Portland, uh, talking about this one time. He compared it to like a hospital. Like if you're in a kind of a hospital is like a sacred space of sorts because it's designated for healing and helping people experience healing. An operating room is a super sacred space that's designated for really important types of healing. And so if you're just kind of like not there for healing and you're kind of bringing in sickness in the hospital, not because you're there to get healed, it's like we don't want you bringing that stuff in here because we're trying to keep spaces clean and safe so we can bring healing. In an operating room, you need to be extra, extra clean because the purpose of that room is a very powerful kind of healing that no contaminating agents can be in. So it's a sterile room, right? And that's what God's holiness is like. It's like to get near to God's holiness with kind of like death and decay, there are aspects of it just saying certain types of certain experiences and things about proximity to dead bodies or decaying skin or impurities or certain sacred bodily fluids weren't allowed to come into the presence of God. It wasn't because you necessarily did something wrong. It's because they signified something about death and decay, and those things weren't allowed in God's presence. So Leviticus gives all these rituals. Leviticus 14 gives different rituals for cleansing, The problem with leprosy and the disease of leprosy is unless there was some miraculous healing, it was seen as incurable. And so if you were in proximity to somebody with leprosy, you would be unclean ritually, but you could go through these rituals to get clean so you could go back and worship in the temple and offer sacrifices to God and be in in community with his people. But if you had leprosy, you were unclean and there was nothing you could do about it. It doesn't mean God hates you. It just means you don't have access to his presence And you can't be around his people. The problem was exacerbated by the fact that instead of having compassion for people with leprosy, the culture had stigmatized those things. And so it's like, if you had this disease, it wasn't just like, I'm so sorry, that must be so hard. It was, ooh, gross, stay away from me. Don't contaminate me. I don't want to be near you. And so people were stigmatized, ostracized, and pushed on the outside. And that's what sin, which often leads to guilt, which is appropriate, right? Like, I did something wrong. We did. We do things wrong. That's guilt. Guilt can be forgiven. But sometimes even when guilt is forgiven, or even if you know you're forgiven, the sense of shame, the sort of emotional weight that lingers and attaches to your identity of like, I am wrong. Not just I did something bad. I am bad. Or there's something dark in me. And it leads to this experience of, I don't know how to relate to God in my true self. When I say true self, I'm not just trying to use psychobabble. I'm saying in the true essence of who I am. The good stuff and the dark stuff, the the strengths and the weaknesses, the the, the good things I've done and the bad things I've done. We feel the need to hide the dark stuff, like to cover up the leprosy on a sleeve and keep it away. And so we never come before God with like, this is real. The spot on my arm is real. 
And how do you feel about when we feel pushed on the outside? And same with community. We don't feel comfortable letting people see the dark stuff in us and around us, and it keeps us on the outside. And that's what shame does. So what shame does. It makes us feel disconnected from God and from other people. And that's the experience of this leprous man. If you imagine him in this scenario, he's coming before Jesus, but he has been on the outside, not able to worship in the temple and not able to be near other people of God for a long, long time. It's kept him on the outside, and that's what happens to us. Uh, that's what's happened to me so many times. The insecurities I feel, that I think if people knew the insecurities I feel, the, the shame I wrestle with, nobody would want to be near me. To even be honest to myself in order to be honest with God is hard for me to even face that stuff. I spend so much of my life kind of trying to tuck that away through achievement or distraction, one of the two, which is like work hard, then watch Netflix. Like those, you know, like cover it up with achievement and then escape the pain with distraction. I don't know that maybe, am I the only one? No? I don't think so. I think we all wrestle with this, and it's different for all of us. For some people, it's regrets of your past. You have grown children that you have a strained relationship with, and you feel when you're honest with yourself might be hard to be honest, that you feel you made mistakes. You weren't as present as maybe you feel like you should have been, or you had a tone in your voice towards your children that was crushing or demanding. And you've maybe grown, and you've learned, and you've healed in some ways, but it tarnished and damaged a relationship. And you feel regret, embarrassment. Could be right now as a parent of young children and and there's anger and frustration and irritability, or you're just overwhelmed, and you think, am I the only one that's overwhelmed? I swear to God, you're not, <laughs> especially in 2020. Uh, but you feel it. Seems like everybody else is doing better than I am. Or you look on social media, and everybody's got their life together and their stuff together, and it feels like you don't measure up. Or you look at people's body image or their appearance, and you think, I can never measure up. Or you see people's personality, and you're like, when I walk into a room, I just feel weird and awkward, and I don't feel like anybody would accept me or love me. Or if they knew the anxiety and the social anxiety I feel, or the depression. Or, or again, maybe you just feel like you're not enough. That's the, again, the voice over my head is, no matter how much you do, you'll never be enough. That's like the voice I battle, right? Other people, it's, you are too much. You're too much for people. You're too much. Or it's, again, this sense of like, I don't know if anybody even sees me and I feel invisible. Or for others, you feel seen and you feel like, yikes, like I feel like an imposter and I feel like people are going to see through me and see. What is it for you? Sometimes it's things we've done. Sometimes it's real failures. It's real failures. It's areas where we have real guilt and that guilt can be forgiven. But the fact that we struggle with it again and again and again leads to this sense of shame, right? Addictions with sin, with pornography, with substance abuse, alcohol, eating disorders, spending habits, tensions in your marriage, internal attitudes towards people that you know you present as a really gentle, kind person, but deep down you are embittered. And it's dark and it's real. And you have a choice to kind of cover it up and pretend to, to be near Jesus cover up your sleeves, pop your collar, old school style, 90s style. Don't let people see the spots and be around. But that's not you. That's some pretend version of you. And you will never experience healing as long as you are not willing to face the dark stuff inside of you. 
And this man here is willing to face it. He's actually going through this incredibly risky thing to be vulnerable before Jesus and before people. He walks up to Jesus. Something about the presence of Jesus kind of like signified to him, this guy's different. He's different. Something about Jesus was like, I, I, I'm, I think he might accept me. Right? If you have the sense like Jesus would never love me, something about just his presence was already magnetic for this person who had felt so ostracized by community. And Jesus ratifies that risk in a really beautiful way in this passage. But the question I want you to ask right now is, where do you feel shame? I want you to be honest. That's a hard question. I, I recognize how sensitive and tender that question is. I recognize it. And so I'm not saying it lightheartedly. I think it will push some of you into, into some really painful places. I don't do that lightly. I don't do it like in any sort of like lackadaisical manner. But I do it because I think there's hope for healing. I know there is hope for healing for you. And the healing comes not through denying or minimizing or tucking away and just coming to church and doing a thing and going back. It actually comes through facing these realities. It comes through like risky, courageous vulnerability and saying before God, and at times, oftentimes also before other people, this is real, this is in me. And that's what this man does. But where do you feel it? Where do you feel on the outside? What are the things that you feel weigh on you? What are the voices in your head? I want you to think about those things and then look at what this man does with his uncleanness. He goes before him and he says, Lord, if you will, if you desire, is the word there, if you want to, you can make me clean. And this verse is stunning. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. That was nutso. Like that was totally shocking to the community. Totally shocking because this person is unclean and, and their sort of ritual laws and teachings, uncleanness needs to be avoided, right? Like they had COVID rules before COVID, right? Like six feet of distance from the lepers, right? And, and there are reasons for that. Because this idea is like, this can spread, this can tarnish others, and even if it doesn't make you sick, it does make you ritually unclean. Then you gotta go through this whole ordeal of going through ritual cleansing before you can be welcomed back in the temple or go back to be with your family. You're quarantined and in isolation until you can do these kind of rituals to make yourself clean again. And this man walks up to Jesus, kneels down and says it, and you would expect everybody to kind of like back up and make a big old circle around him like, whoa, whoa, back off, you have leprosy. Get out of here. And in Jesus, it like slows down. It says he stretched out his hand. I love the detail. It didn't just say, Jesus said, I will be clean. It doesn't just say Jesus touched him. It said he stretched out his hand. Just feel like the, the, in, the, in the movie or something, like the music, the dramatic, like it's dramatic music, all this ambient stuff's going and it's catching people's faces and it's slowing down and it zooms in on the hand as he reaches out. That's what Matthew's doing on purpose. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. He touched him. In that moment, the man is reconnected to God because Jesus is God. Jesus is the holy, holy, holy presence of God. And instead of saying, get away from me till you do this stuff, he says, I am the stuff. I am the sacrifice. I am the ritual. I am the cleansing. And he reaches out and he touches him. And he says, I will, I desire, I want to be clean, be clean, be clean. And this is the second point in the passage. Jesus wants to make you clean. He wants to. He's not just able to, he desires to. It's core to why he came. 
It's not that you would walk around feeling second rate, not that you'd walk around feeling kicked out and outside and unloved and second class. And if anybody knew this, it's like he knows it and he sees it and he loves you. And he wants to say, I see you. I know you. I know what you experienced. I know that failure. I know that regret. I know what you expected in your life and that you feel like you aren't measuring up. I'm not paying that kind of comparison, playing that comparison game with you. I love you, the real you, the beautiful and broken you. The beautiful and broken you is the one he sees. It's the one he loves. It's the one he moves towards. And when we can be honest about the dark stuff within us and bring those before him and say, this is my true self. This is me. With the brokenness and the insecurity, armor's off, mask is down, you know, like the kind of like pretense that I present all over. This is me. And the darkness and the pain. And he says, I see you. I know you. I love you. You're clean. Why? Because I said so. Because I said so. I'm who you say I am. That you don't have to carry that stuff around. It doesn't have to tarnish you. But it is important to be honest about it before God, to say, I have leprosy. Do you want to make me clean? And he says, I want to make you clean. I want to. It's what I came to do. It's what I came to do. And I think it's so powerful to see his contagious holiness, the holiness that he shows to, to spread. It's like his cleansing power. It doesn't, your sin doesn't like make him unholy. And yet there is a really powerful sense in which it did. And that's what is accomplished on the cross is Jesus actually absorbing all of our uncleanness, all of our iniquity and our infirmity and our impurity and our brokenness. He took upon himself all our diseases and he suffered and died outside the camp. He died in separation from the presence of God. He died in separation from the temple. He died abandoned by all of his closest friends, naked and alone on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin, but also to wash our way our shame, our guilt, that through his sacrificial death for us, we could be reconciled to God. And that's what you see so powerfully in this passage. I think it's a stunning line here in verse 4. It says, in verse 3, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell people. You're like, wait, what? Is that just like a humble thing, a humble move? Like, no, man, I'm, you know, like, I don't need you to tell anybody. I'm art. It's not a humble move. He is humble. The reason, the theme in the sort of gospel narratives is called the messianic secret. The messianic secret, which is a powerful theme in, in the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus keeps on doing these stunning, powerful things and telling people, keep it under wraps. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Why? It's because he actually did not want, at this point, his fame to grow as miracle worker. He is a miracle worker. We need to know him as miracle worker. But he didn't come to be mere miracle worker. He didn't come to be mere healer of leprosy, healer of disease, healer of hands, healer of legs. He did come to be that, but he didn't come to be merely that. And if the word got around of his power to heal and the crowds began to grow and grow and grow, it would escalate attention from the Romans and from the Jewish religious elites, and it would bring the tension that was coming inevitably to a head earlier than Jesus wanted it to come. Jesus had a mission to accomplish, and the mission included teaching people about his kingdom, preparing these disciples, showing people his power, but the mission would reach its culmination three years later when he walks up this hill 
on Golgotha and he lays down his life to take the sin of the world upon his shoulders, when he lays down his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus didn't just come to cleanse people of these kind of temporary maladies. All of those people that he healed eventually died again. He came to actually offer a cleansing power to all people over all time for all of eternity through his death on the cross for our sins. Not just to bring forgiveness, but to bring cleansing. To bring cleansing of shame. And the shame comes not merely through his sacrificial death, but also through the expression of his sacrificial love. It is love that heals shame. It always has been, and you know it. You know it. When you let somebody in to the dark stuff within you, and you confess something to a friend, or you share your story with a loved one or a spouse, and they accept you, and they love you, it is transformative. We say often, transformation happens when grace meets shame. When we're honest about the dark stuff within us, and people see it, and they don't say, yikes, no way, not for me. Jesus doesn't say, yikes, no way, not for me. He says, I want to be near you. I want to reach out, stretch out my hand right now. Right now, Jesus, do it. Reach out, stretch out your hand, and touch people. And say, I see you. I love you. I know. I know. You're clean. Be clean. And if he says you are, then you are. You're clean. And then he connects people to his community. He connects people to his community. You see it right here on the end of the passage. He says this, But go and show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And that was a part of the ritual thing. If somebody miraculously got clean, they'd show up to the temple and a priest would verify, Yep, your leprosy's gone. You are now again welcomed into the presence of God, the temple, and into the community of God who's worshiping in the temple. You're, you're welcomed back. You're clean. And, and Jesus is saying, you're back in. You're welcome because I said so. You are. Other people might not feel good about it, but when people see the power of what I've done in your life, you'll see that you're welcome. And that's hard because I want to be honest that in our culture, the idea of being honest about weakness or shame or regrets is not like a, a common thing in sort of American society. American cultural society says, be strong, have it together, prove you're better, prove you measure up, and, and use your whole life and all of your resources to kind of either ele elevate yourself or at least project an elevated version of yourself so that you can be enough, so you can be welcomed, so you can be accepted. That's not what the kingdom of God ought to be. It ought to be the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the weak and the guilty and the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes are just like welcomed around Jesus, flocking to Jesus because it's finally a kind of community that said, you're here and you're clean and you're loved. That you don't have to hide it. You don't have to hide it. In my experience, the most transformative relational experiences in my life have been when people saw my deepest insecurities, my deepest shame, my deepest fears, and loved me. And loved me. And I've experienced that counterintuitively. It's the most terrifying thing to stick your neck out there and say, here's what I feel. It's terrifying. I don't love opening up a sermon saying like, I'm an insecure pastor. Welcome to Park Church. But I have, I have real insecurities. It's, it's the real me. And you don't have to love me. Jesus does, and so it's okay. But what I've learned is that often people feel more able to connect. And you feel known, you feel loved, other people feel permission. If you don't have to be perfect, maybe I don't have to be perfect. If my small group leader confesses that kind of stuff, maybe I could confess that kind of stuff. 
If my spouse is honest about what they've been struggling with, maybe I could be honest about what I'm struggling with. But it takes courageous vulnerability to get there. And in my experience, the healing power of grace when it touches those real areas of shadow, dark shame within us is transformative. And it's a testimony. That's what Jesus says. This will be a testimony for them, a proof for them. It'll say something. God's doing a whole new thing where you don't have to compete. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to pretend anymore. You, the real you, are loved by God. And if we are filled with the Spirit, you ought to be loved by this community. And we're praying that God would make us that kind of a community of grace where the transformative power of God's love would change us and would shine like light in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you now. We need you now. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak around this room, all over the city, for those that are tuning in online, God, that you would speak over men and women and children, that you see them and you know them and you love them. You see the things they've been struggling with. You see the addictions. You see the regrets. You see the sin. You see the painful things that happen to people. It's not even their shame to bear, but they feel, maybe they feel damaged. They feel like something's happened that has stained them, changed the course of their life in these unalterable, irredeemable ways. And I pray you would speak over all of them you see them, you know them, you love them, you would say, I want you to be clean, and so you are. That you would almost palpably touch people, like to tap them on the shoulder and say, I'm talking to you, son, I'm talking to you, daughter. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that thing, you, you. I love you personally. And so would you, Holy Spirit, bring us into the light Help us like John instructed us to confess our sins, to not pretend like we have no sin, but to say this stuff's real, the darkness is real, and that we would experience your power not just to forgive us of all of our sins, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us. Through your loving sacrifice for us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.